Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Dual Citizens. Amen. Amen. Some of you say, oh, Pastor, I can't praise him in a mask. Well, Paul and Silas could praise him in prison at midnight in the stocks and the bonds. I can praise him in a mask. Amen. Amen. Nothing's going to stop our praise today, amen. Our praise is our weapon, amen. Our weapon is a melody, and we sing to the Lord, and he fights our battles for us, amen. Amen. Take a moment and let's pray together as we prepare to come before God's Word today. Father, we love you and we bless you, and we thank you that there is no other name above the name of Jesus, as we've sung this morning. And Lord, every other name is beneath the name of Jesus. And so we thank you today that that includes COVID-19 and coronavirus and every other sickness and disease. We thank you, Lord, that every other authority is beneath the authority of the Lord Jesus, and we bless his name. Father, we ask you today that, Lord, you would lift our faith, that you would vanquish our fears, And the Lord, you would help us today. We pray, God, for our community. We pray for your hand to be at work. We pray for you, Lord, to move in and to push out everything before you that is not of you. As you said in Psalm 68, may God arise and let his enemies be scattered. That's our prayer today. Father, we pray that you'd move in this house. Lord, bless us who've gathered because we love you. We thank you today that whatever we face whether it's a pandemic or a crisis, no matter what may be going on, no matter what else 2020 may have in store for us, Lord, we thank you that you've got us and you've got this, whatever is to come, and we can trust you. And Lord, just like you've always done for your people in every story in the Bible, you will walk us safely through. And we thank you and we bless you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, give the Lord one more great hand of praise. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. You can be seated today. It's good to be in his house. Amen. Happy Independence Day weekend. We're glad to see you here. If you have your Bible, I'm in Philippians 2 today. Philippians 2 is where we'll be looking. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 4 through 7, and then verses 14 through 16. We're going to turn to a couple different passages today, but that'll be the, the key one. We'll start and end there. Amen. So you join us there this morning. Great to see so many watching us on live stream today. We have several people who have chosen to worship from home with us uh, in the current uh, health crisis, and that's okay too as well. Amen. We have a lot of people who are watching us and uh, that are sort of scattered. It's the 4th of July weekend, so we have people uh, from all over the place. In fact, one of my favorite things to see every week on our live stream is where people are watching from. People sort of write in, and not only are they watching, but they may be watching from vacation or watching from visiting family and friends out of town, and I appreciate that. I'm glad that we have a way to stay connected, uh, whether you're present or, or scattered, amen? Gathered or scattered, we're still together, and I'm thankful for that. If you have your Bible, Philippians 2, I want to talk to you today on the subject of being a dual citizen. Say that with me. Dual citizens. You may not know this, but there are people in the world who have the privilege of being a citizen of two countries at the same time. And that means they have the rights and the responsibilities that go along with that. Uh, So you may be a citizen of the United States and perhaps a citizen of the United Kingdom or citizen of South Korea or some other country, all at the same time holding both citizenships. I want to submit to you today that if you are a Christian and you are an American citizen, you are also a dual citizen according to the Bible. 
You have a citizenship in two different realities. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible gives us that reality in the book of Philippians. We're reading in chapter 2 today, but chapter 3, verse 20 is where we find this truth. Chapter 3, 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from there, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So we have a citizenship in heaven as well as our citizenship here in our home country. You're citizens of the United States and you're also citizens of heaven, the kingdom of God. Americans are known for insisting on our rights, but Jesus was known for laying his down, wasn't he? He was known for giving his up for the sake of others. And I want to remind you today as we read from Philippians 2 that whether we're in the middle of a pandemic or whether we're having a wonderful time, the example that the Lord Jesus has given us to follow, our King, who we follow his footsteps, our Lord, our Master, our Sovereign, who we have committed our lives to walk in his footsteps, he has given us an example that we are to follow. Hear the word of the Lord. Philippians 2 begins in verse 4. I'm reading from the English Standard Version today. Hear the word. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. May God bless the reading of his word and his people said amen. Amen. As dual citizens, we hold the rights and responsibilities of being both a, a citizen of the U.S. and a member of the kingdom of God, and we hold these realities in tension all the time. Well, how do we do that? Well, let me talk to you about that today. For starters, I say this. I don't want to be an American Christian. I want to be a Christian American. And I phrase it that way for a reason. Whenever you were in school, you learned that the adjective always modifies the noun. Well, if we allow, uh, if we're American Christians, then that means that we allow our Americanism to define how we are Christians. And I believe the Bible would have us to flip that on its head. We are to allow our Christian faith to inform how we are to be Americans. I submit to you today that there are quite a few things that you could do, that you may do, that you can do as Americans and be well within your rights according to the laws of our land. And yet, according to the word of God and the example of Jesus, you should not do them. Amen. And so the question is, which one is the controlling factor? I want to make sure my Christian faith modifies my Americanism, not the other way around. I want to make sure I've got that priority right. I've told you about that before. There's a reason when we gather why the American flag is on the left side of the congregation and the Christian flag is on the right side of the congregation. The flag on the right side outranks the one on the left side. That's the etiquette here. And the reminder 
reminder for us as the people of God is that our faith always informs how we are to be citizens in our country, not the other way around. If you don't have a problem with that, well, you not only have a problem with the Bible, you also have a problem with the Constitution because the Constitution of our nation was very clear about that, that even the early Americans understood that this flag was never to interfere with that flag. The First Amendment of our own Constitution says, Congress shall make no law considering the establishment of religion or protecting the free exercise thereof. In other words, even our founders knew that if there needed to be any influence, the cross needed to influence our Americanism, not the other way around. And so our founders, both of the Christian faith and of our nation, understood this principle. And it's one that I want to lift up and underscore for us again on this 4th of July weekend. Amen. So hear me today. I don't want my Americanism changing my Christianity. I need my Christian faith to inform how I am to be an American. And the Bible gives us three great principles, I believe, on how we can do that and what that should look like. And I want to give them to you today. We're going to flip to a couple places in the New Testament, one in the Old, to find some guidance on this subject. If you like to turn in your Bible, flip back with me to Romans the 13th chapter and you'll be ready. I'll join you there in just a second. During the ministry of Jesus, the Bible tells us that he had some enemies and they tried to trip him up on many occasions. Uh, I was watching on Facebook the other day and Landon, you and I share our distaste for this New Testament group called the Pharisees, right? We don't like those people. We're agreed on that. And uh, that's it. The Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up. They tried to get him to step into a trap. They wanted him to say something negatively about the Roman government. And the hope was that they would get him arrested and thrown in jail. Here's how they set him up. They set him up with a tax question. Now, if there's not only do many of us not like all the things our government does, but if there's one thing we really don't like, it's taxes, right? Nobody likes to pay taxes. And Jesus, they tried to trip Jesus up with a tax question. And they asked him, they said, should we pay these taxes or not? Now remember, they were occupied by the Roman government. This was not a, a friendly situation. It's not like you and me. They had not voted Caesar into office, okay? Uh, they, this was forced upon them. He was the emperor of the, of the Roman Empire. And they, he had taken over their country. So they were not happy about this at all. And yet Jesus refuses to step into the trap of coming against the Roman emperor. Uh, and he gives us a principle in Mark 12 and 17 that stands in the kingdom of God until the Lord returns. Here's the principle. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar and unto God what is God's. That's the principle Jesus gave us. He said, show me a coin whose image is on the coin. They said Caesar's. He said, then pay Caesar his taxes, but also give God what belongs to God. So this is the overarching principle that the Lord Jesus has given those of us who follow him on how we are to interact with the government. We are to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. I would show you at the very beginning, there is a built-in limit placed on that. We are to be submissive to our government, and yet there's a control on how far we are to submit. Our allegiance to God always supersedes our command to submit to governmental authority. There's always that check placed there. So if we're ever placed in a position where our obligation to God means we must disobey the government, then for the Christian, the, the issue's already settled. Jesus told us that God trumps government when it comes to that. 
God outranks any human official. That's the rule. But most of the time, those two realities run on parallel tracks. And we can do both of them at the same time. And as long as we can, we should. That's the principle God gives us. Look with me in Romans 13. I want you to understand this is not just me extrapolating the principle from, the, from a very small phrase that Jesus gives us. No, no. Paul did that for me. I don't have to do that. In Romans 13, Paul took this word from Jesus and applied it to his own uh, empire that he lived in, to the Roman Empire, and explained what this is to look like. Look at Romans 13. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because I think it's very easy to get the flow of a longer passage in this translation. If you have the, another version in front of you, I normally preach from the New King James. If you're with me much, you know that. Um, but whatever you have in front of you will read very close to what I'm reading. Follow along with me. Uh, Romans 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. That's what many of us have been saying for weeks now, right? It's amazing how easier your life is if you obey the law. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if they are doing wrong, of course you, if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for this very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too for the same reasons. The government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Sounds a lot like render unto Caesar what is Caesar and unto God's what is God's, right? Paul is applying this principle, only he's giving us the details on what it would look like for a Christian in the New Testament to actually apply this principle. Now, I already hear the objection that many people would give. But pastor, we don't have a king or an emperor. We're not in an empire. We are a free people. That is true, but you know as well as I do, our freedom is also limited by laws in our land. Our freedom is limited and our, many of our decisions are not left to us to make unilaterally, but many of our decisions we have delegated to officials to make for us. Officials whom we elect and choose, true enough, but still we have delegated to them the right to make laws and decisions for our country. You and I do not live in an absolute democracy. You live in a republic, and if you don't know the difference, Google will help you out this afternoon, but there is a difference. It's a very big difference, and the difference matters, and you should know what kind of country you live in. You live in a republic. And so that, that means something, okay? So we have to abide by that. This is the system we have, and God expects us to live as Christians within this system. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, let me use for an example, um, as we're jumping in here, uh, the, the, the bottom line, the law number one, rule number one, principle number one is this. We are to obey the laws of the land. Say that with me. 
Obey the law of the land. That is principle number one. Number one guiding governing principle for God's people as dual citizens who are both part of the kingdom of God and part of the United States, we are to obey the law of the land as much as possible. As long as the law doesn't call us to sin, we should abide by it. For example, our city, our county has currently passed a mask ordinance. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to uh, believe the rationale behind it. You don't have to be convinced that it is effective at presenting, for preventing the spread of sickness. As an American, you can even protest it. You can write the mayor about it. You can call your councilman over it. And you could even vote for a different candidate next time who would not have supported it. All of those things are well within your rights as an American and as a Mobilian. But I want to tell you today, I'm not a politician. I'm your pastor. We have a couple attorneys that'll inform you of your rights if you need to know them, amen? We had John Lasseter last time, and amen. I see my brother right here. Uh, he will help you out if you need to know your rights, okay? We can hook you up, all right? Uh, yeah, Tyler will help us after service to that if you need a consult. I'm your pastor, though, and as a Christian, I can tell you that while you're doing all these other things, you should be doing it with your mask on because that's what we've been asked to do. That's what we've been asked to do. I'm reminded often of the story of a little boy who was riding down the road with his dad in his pickup truck, and he had his car seat over there, and he wasn't in it, and he was standing up on the seat, and his dad kept telling him, I need you to sit down and buckle up in your car seat. He wouldn't do it. So finally, the dad pulled over on the side of the road, grabbed the little boy, and forced him into the car seat and buckled him in, and then they drove off down the road, and the little boy looked over at his dad and said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. <laughs> if we're honest, lots of us are wearing our mask on the outside, but we're very much resistant on the inside. Okay, granted, but we are called as much as we're able to cooperate with the laws of our land. Uh, we are to submit to the governing authorities. The Bible says, Romans 13, verse 1. Well, what does submit look like? What does that mean for us? Well, at the very minimum, contrast it with verse 2 where it says, do not resist the governing authorities. I think it means several things. Number one, at the very bare minimum, to submit to authority means we don't actively resist authority. The word resist in the Greek here means to, to violently oppose or to defiantly act in spite of. We are not to defiantly resist or ignore the law. We're not to act out in such a way. That would be resisting our rulers. And Romans 13 verse 2 tells us we should not do that. Amen? Uh, so that's the first thing. Don't resist it. The Bible also gives us a principle in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That's what the Bible says in, Acts, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. We're given a command by God that we are to honor our leaders. This principle, again, runs through the entire Bible. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. That's a principle in God's word. Whenever Paul was on trial and he spoke out against someone, they struck him and, and, and Paul fired back and they said, is this how you speak to the high priest? And he said, I did not know he was the high priest. In other words, Paul was saying, if I had known he was an official, I would not have spoken the way that I did. Because Paul said, and he quotes Deuteronomy, because the law says you shall not speak evil of a leader of your people. Listen, the leader was wrong. 
And the leader, what he was doing to Paul was wrong. And yet Paul acknowledged the principle that even that did not give him the right to speak disrespectfully of that leader. It's about to get quiet in the holiness church for a minute, okay? Just buckle up. You're going to need something more than your mask on in a second. Listen to me. The Bible is very clear. And I want to address for a moment the way Christians speak about people who are in offices of public leadership. And I want to tell you, while as an American, you may have every right to call somebody a ninny-headed pinhead if you want to. You may have the right, according to the Constitution, to label all kind of names on your civic leaders. But I want to tell you that as a Christian, you most certainly do not. And I'm not interested in limiting your free speech as an American. I'm not, your, I'm, I'm not here for that. But I am your pastor, and I'm here to tell you that if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus and we're going to obey his command, one of his commands is to honor the king. It is to give honor to those who are in authority. Paul says here in Romans 13, give every man what you owe him, taxes to whom taxes. He says reverence to whom reverence, fear to whom fear. We are to give honor where honor is due. And you and I can honor an office even when we don't like the candidate in the office. And I want to tell you, about every four years, you get a new opportunity to do that. Okay? Because every four years, there's fruit basket turnover, and some people on your team make it, and some people on your team don't make it, and that's true for everybody in the room. But what also ought to be true for everybody in the room is that everybody in the room can speak respectfully of those who are in leadership. Not because you don't have a right to speak otherwise according to the Constitution, but because you claim to be a Christian and you name the name of Jesus and God's Word commands you as a believer in Jesus that you should give honor to whom honor is due. And if you don't do that, not only are you disrespecting your civic leaders, more importantly and more fearfully, you are disobeying the command of the Lord Jesus. Hear me. And yet, it always amazes me that there are people who, whenever the roles reverse, can't seem to get this concept on either side of the political aisle. Uh, Whenever Barack Obama was president, there are people who said all sorts of things, not just addressing his behavior as policies, but personal words of attack against him that were very disrespectful. And often many of those people were Christians. And now that the roles are reversed and Donald Trump is in office, often I see the same thing happening. There are people who claim the name of Jesus who don't just take objection to his his policies or even maybe his personal issues, but they are very much speaking slanderous words about him and attacking him as a personally and be very disrespectful about him both times in both elections I lived through both of them I heard Christians say that's not my president well number one if you'd said that to Nero he would have taken your head off your shoulders so just be thankful you live in America and not the Roman Empire okay and number two I want to remind you that whoever's in office and whoever goes into office in November they will be your president unless you choose to leave this country and go somewhere else they will be your president Whoever it is, if you voted for them or not. And the Bible command for you is to honor them, to show respect to the office. Amen. Why? Because you are an American citizen, but more importantly, because you are a Christian, and this is the way Christians are called to act. Oh, well, I'm going to show out if it didn't go the way I want to. Fine, show out. But please take your Forest Hill Church t-shirt off before you show out. Because I don't want to be associated with it, and I don't want our church associated with it, because the name of Jesus has no business being associated with it. The Bible says we're called to live quiet, peaceable lives, 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says, we ought to pray for our leaders and those in authority so that we may live quiet, peaceable lives. So we are to not resist our rulers. We are to honor our rulers. And number three, we are to obey the laws of our land unless those laws command us to commit sin. And I'm having a hard time figuring out how wearing a mask when you walk in Walmart is making you sin against the Lord Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you don't have to like it, but just put it on. Amen? Why? Because the, well, the Bible gives you a couple reasons. Number one, for wrath's sake, because there's a law against it. And if you just want to lose $50, can I remind you we're taking a missions offering at the end of the service. And I'd rather you give it here than give it to the city of Mobile. Amen? Put it in this bucket and wear your mask. I need you $50. Glory to God. <laughs> but number two, for conscience sake, the Bible says. For conscience sake. Why? Because we're the people who believe that God has delegated authority to human governments and human rulers. And so if I resist the human ruler, I'm not only flying in the face of the human ruler, I'm actually disagreeing and, and disapproving and I'm coming against the rule of God because he's delegated that to others until the Lord Jesus returns again. Amen. Say amen or oh me. Amen. Are there limits on this? Of course there are limits on this. No one is advocating some kind of mindless, blind obedience to government. The Bible never does that either. I already told you, the very principle Jesus gives us, he sets the limit. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but render unto God what is God's. There's the limit. There's the caveat. There's the exception. There is the other part of the rule, the other side of the coin. And there are examples of this all in the Bible. The Bible tells us that the Apostle Paul whenever he was preaching the gospel he continued to preach the gospel even though what he was doing was proclaiming an illegal religion in Rome Christianity was not a recognized legal religion that's why he kept ending up in jail and yet despite the fact that it was illegal to preach Christ Paul continued to preach Christ anyway why because the Lord Jesus had commanded him to preach Christ go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and if Nero couldn't get on board with that, that's too bad because the Lord Jesus had given an order that superseded Nero's order. And the disciple and the follower of the Lord Jesus was going to obey God rather than man. That's exactly what he says in Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 29. The Bible says that when Peter was told not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus, he responded by saying, we must obey God rather than men. And that is the principle. So if someone commands you to do something that violates God's word, you don't have to obey. That goes down to every level of authority. A wife does not have to submit to a husband when he tells her to do something that defies the word of God. A, parent, a child does not have to obey a parent when a parent defies God's word and tells them to do something that would be sin for them. There are boundaries on every level of human authority and it goes all the way up to governmental authority. This is the way it works. This is the teaching of the New Testament. And we see it in the Bible. The Bible tells us the Hebrew midwives were commanded to throw the male children of the Israelites into the Nile River. And they refused and God blessed them for their civil disobedience. The Bible tells us that Daniel and the three Hebrew children defied. They stood in the face of the Babylonian government and did not do what they were commanded to do on multiple occasions. And yet they did so respectfully and they did so humbly. 
but they stood their ground where they had to stand. The Bible says in Daniel 1 that they were given unclean food to eat and they refused. In fact, but they didn't listen. They didn't stage a protest. They didn't go march around in front of the palace. They didn't go on a hunger strike. They went quietly and asked the official, may we have permission to do something a little bit different? We want to try it God's way. And they submitted and that was the end of that. They started, with the, they started with that route, and they used respect and kindness, and they still obeyed God. Now, sometimes things get more drastic than that. The Bible says in chapter 3 that they were ordered to bow down before a, the, a, an image, a, a golden image, and to worship it. And this time, there was no tolerance shown for them. There was no accommodation made for their religious principles. It was very simple. Either you bow or you burn right? And the Bible says the three Hebrew children made their decision and they said, King, we do not even need to think how we will answer you in this matter for we know that our God whom we serve is able to deliver us and he will deliver us, but even if he does not, we will not bow to the image that you have set up. And so they refused to bow down. In Daniel chapter 6, the Bible says they made a law that no one was allowed to pray to anyone except the king. And the Bible tells us that the problem with that was this law was created to set a trap for Daniel because they knew that his custom was to go to his house, open his windows toward Jerusalem, and pray three times a day to the God of Israel. What did Daniel do? Well, he didn't go write a letter. He didn't go and, uh, again, pick it in front of the king's office. What did he do? The Bible says he went to his own place. He opened the windows. He got on his knees and he prayed to the God of Israel as was his custom since early days. He just quietly went on doing what he knew he was supposed to do and he didn't make a big deal about it. Wow. Imagine that, that we would just quietly do what we should do and not make a big deal about it. He didn't even make one Facebook post about it that day, y'all. He just went back to his room and prayed and did what he ought to do. Pastor, what would you do if you were in California and they said that we couldn't sing when we gathered? Well, I would sing anyway. But I wouldn't go march in front of the state office and I wouldn't go on Facebook and say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, we're going to sing anyway. No, um, we wouldn't do that. Now, I'm safe in Alabama, so I made a nice fun post with Buddy the Elf about it, but that's because I'm not in it. If I was in it, what would we do? We would sing. Why? Because the Bible commands us to sing and to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that is a commanded part of Christian worship. And so for me, that's where the line runs through. I have to obey God. I can't obey a human ruler at that point. Um, there's a line there, and we discern that line together. Even though our political situation differs from Rome, we have to remember. Remember, we, even if a Christian cannot obey the law, he can disobey respectfully and submissively, yielding to the government's right to arrest or punish if convicted. This was often Dr. King's approach in the 1960s, to disobey an unjust law and to allow the law to work its course and the belief that God would vindicate and that at the end the right would be shown to be right, and it worked. It worked to a very great degree. The question in our case, I think, is simple. Are the things we're being asked to do by the government causing us to sin against the Lord? Until they do, the Bible says we should comply because of wrath and because of conscience. We're patriots, but we're also pilgrims. We're members of, we're part of a country, but we're also part of a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that kingdom cuts across every political and national boundary in the world. So principle number one, obey the law of the land. Say obey the law. 
Principle number two, seek the peace of the city where the Lord has carried you. This principle is found in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. The Bible tells us that God's children had been taken in exile to Babylon. And there was a group of false prophets that were telling them, oh, don't worry, we're not going to be here long. Man, God's going to get you out of here in just a minute. Don't even unpack your boxes, okay? Just, just sit tight. God's going to have you out of here in a jiffy. It's not going to be long at all. So don't get comfortable. You won't be here but a minute. The Bible says Jeremiah wrote to the exiles and said, uh, I hate to break it to you, but those guys did not hear from God. That's not what the Lord says. Those are false prophets. Let me tell you what the Lord says. And Jeremiah writes and says, the Lord says you're going to be in Babylon for the next 70 years, which meant most of those receiving the letter would die there, right? That was pretty much a life sentence. You're going to be there for 70 years. This is a life sentence. And so Jeremiah tells them, so buy property, build a house, plant a garden, grow a vineyard, give your sons and daughters to be married. In other words, settle in, break out the good china, go ahead and plant a garden, plant an oak tree as a matter of fact. You're going to be there a while. And so what should you do? Verse 7 tells us the gist of what Jeremiah's advice was for the people of God. Read it aloud with me. And also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That is the word of the Lord. This is good advice for us. Even though I'm a citizen in heaven, I'm a sojourner in Alabama. The fact that this world is not my home does not mean I shouldn't care about where I am right now. In Jeremiah 29, 7, he tells us that we ought to love where we live. And we ought to be invested in the place where we live. And we ought to want to make it a good place to be. Why? Because my destiny is bound up in the destiny of the city where I live. Amen. As Dr. King famously said years ago, we may have come over on different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. You and I are in this city, we're in this community, and we share it. And whatever happens to one of us affects all of us. And so we have an obligation to one another and to our community at large to seek the prosperity or the good of the city. I've heard believers say, well, you know, Jesus is coming back soon. We don't have to worry about that. Listen, friend, the coming of the Lord is not an, an excuse to be irresponsible with your life. I've heard people use the coming of the Lord as an argument against everything from recycling plastic water bottles to not having a muffler on their car. Have mercy. Come on. I've watched people refuse proper diet and exercise and who sink deeply into debt because they believe, well, the Lord's coming back anyway and it doesn't matter. I do believe the coming of the Lord is near at hand, but that's never an excuse, as Dave Ramsey says, to get stuck on stupid. It's not a reason uh, to live that way. That isn't faith. That is foolishness. And God calls us to walk in wisdom which is just the opposite. Christians are commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves and to seek the prosperity of the city where we live. Not only are we to work for it, we are to pray for it, according to Jeremiah. Do you see that? Pray to the Lord for it. There is one thing that no one can do except a believer in the Lord Jesus. Nobody else has access to the very throne of God except those who've been washed in the blood of his son. But when we come by the blood and in the name of Jesus, we have the right to stand before the very throne of God. And we can pray and God will hear and God will answer those prayers.
And if he's not a Christian, the governor can't do it or the president can't do it or the mayor can't do it. Only a believer in Jesus can do it. But even if you have absolutely the lowest position in society, if you are a Christian who's washed in the blood, you can come before the throne of God and petition God on behalf of your community and God will answer and God will move because you prayed and asked him to. That's a wonderful reality. What a great gift we can give our community by praying for it. Amen. The Bible tells us, 1 Timothy 2, verses 2 and 3, we are to pray for kings and those in authority that we may live quiet, peaceful lives in all godliness and holiness. You know what? If we prayed half as much as we played on Facebook, this would probably already be turned around by now. Amen. If we would pray, why? We have a promise from God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's the promise of God. Let's take him up on it. Obey the law of the land. Seek the peace of the city. And thirdly, before we dismiss, respect the conscience of your brother. Say that with me. Respect the conscience of your brother. Flip over from Romans 13 to Romans 14 real quick. And let's cover this one before we go. Romans 14 verses 1 through 4, the Bible says this, accept other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it is all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are we to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. He goes on to say, verse 4, I believe, well, a few verses later, verse 6 or so, he says, I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat. Do not let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God. And others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build one another up. Good word from the Lord. We need to recover this principle in the life of the church today. What is Paul saying? The bottom line, he's saying this. You can be part of the same church and disagree about many different things. Do you hear me? You can disagree with one another. We can disagree with one another about many things and still be part of the same church. And if we cannot do that, it's not because the issues are dividing us. It's because our rotten attitude is dividing us. Do you hear me? It's because we don't have enough respect for one another to let somebody hold a different opinion than us about something without feeling the need to take them to task about it all the time. We don't have to do that. Listen, the Bible says that if you and I believe differently about a debatable matter, it doesn't say that you are to try to convince me or that I'm to try to convince you. What the Bible says is that we are to leave one another alone and we are not to judge one another based on that issue. We are to express tolerance to one another, 
Not worldly tolerance that says you must believe just like I do or, or you're not accepting and you're a bigot. No, no. Genuine tolerance says this is not a hill to die on. This is something we can agree about and still be friends. Amen. There are people who can't do that. They also don't have many friends. They also change churches like I change socks. Amen. And there's a reason for that often. It's because we can't seem to get along. We live in a country that is polarized and it is increasingly polarizing. We, we break with one another. We break relationship with one another. We cease friendships with one another over the most minor issues. We, we lose out with one another because we can't agree on things. Well, you know what? Everybody doesn't have to agree with you. Just because someone doesn't agree with me doesn't mean that they're my enemy. It just means they're not me. Amen. Uh, that's how that works. We need to recover this principle. We're entitled to disagree about many things and still be Christians and still be brothers and sisters and still love one another and serve God in the same church. But if you watch the news or scroll through social media or talk across the back fence post, you know how polarized our nation is right now. We have politicized and weaponized every single issue. Let me give you an example. Let me give you a couple. Reopening the church. One side says, if you reopen the church, you don't love people, pastor. The other side says, if, if, if you don't reopen the church, you don't love God. So if I reopen it, I don't love people and care for their health. And if I do reopen it, I don't love God. Wow. Common sense safety measures. What about that? Well, if you tell people to walk in faith, you don't have any wisdom. But if you tell people to use wisdom, you don't have any faith. So whatever you do, you're wrong. Yeah. What about the election cycle? If you point out that President Trump has some flaws, you are an abortion-loving, God-hating communist. If you wear a MAGA hat, you are a racist, homophobic bigot who has denied the faith. Whatever you do, you're wrong. Police departments. If you believe a policeman should not have killed a man in handcuffs by kneeling on his neck for eight minutes, you are an Antifa-loving, cop-hating anarchist. However, if you believe that most police officers are good people who try hard to treat others fairly and serve their communities well, you are a racist Klansman who wishes Governor Wallenus would rise from the dead and run for president. <laughs> Whatever you do, you're wrong. <laughs> Wearing a mask. If you do, you're caving into George Soros' scheme to usher in the new world order. And if you don't, you're a selfish pig who wants to kill grandma with a coronavirus. <laughs> but whatever you do, you're wrong. <laughs> Welcome to America. <laughs> we are polarized and we have weaponized everything. We're mad at Aunt Jemima's syrup, Uncle Ben's rice, and Barney Fife's bullet. Have mercy. <laughs> What's wrong with us? <laughs> we are, it's madness. And I want to tell you, there is one group of people on this planet who ought to have the mutual love and respect to show a better way. And it's the men and women who sit in rooms like this all across the United States who name the name of Jesus. Because we know better, and by God's grace, we can do better. So let's do better. Let's respect the conscience of other people about non-essential, debatable issues. I had to learn to do this in my Christian faith, you see. And now we have to learn how to do it in our country. What do you mean, Pastor? If you know anything about the history of the church of God, you know that we've had to learn how to do this. 
There was a time the church of God was strict about everything and anything, and most every issue was a polarizing issue for our denomination. I mean, back in the day, let's be honest, if it was fun, it was sin. <laughs> I mean, we didn't do anything, right? We didn't smoke, drink, dip, chew, or go with girls that do. And that was just the first, that was the first item on the list. And then the list got much tighter as you went down from there. Now, don't get mad. I still don't smoke, drink, dip, or chew, okay? I'm, I'm with you. I'm holiness. But listen, we had to learn along the way that we can't legislate and make rules about any and everything. And somewhere along the way, we have to preach holiness and preach God's word, and we have to allow people the liberty to walk in their conscience before God and make some of those decisions between them and their Savior. That's why God gave you the Holy Ghost. If you've got the Holy Ghost, I don't have to tell you everything to do. I don't tell you how to dress. I don't want to tell you how to vote. And I don't want to tell you how to think. The Holy Ghost will do that. And my job is not to tell you how to dress, think, or act. My job is to pray you through to the Holy Ghost. <laughs> That'll fix all of it. Or most of it. Amen? Because he'll guide you into the truth. He'll tell you what you ought to do. He'll walk with you in front of a mirror when you put on that and tell you if you ought to wear it or if you ought to take it off. He'll walk with you into the ballot booth in November and he'll tell you if you ought to vote for this one or that one. I want to tell you anything. The Holy Ghost will help you. Amen. But we have to give one another some liberty to be guided by their conscience, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit. If the Bible is clear about something, we ought to be clear about it. But if the Bible leaves it to the area of something that is not specifically addressed or debatable, we are to preach God's principles and do our best to stand where we can with conscience and Scripture. But that also means that there's times I won't stand exactly where you do on an issue. And the goal at that point does not, is not to engage in battle and try to persuade one another. The goal, according to the Bible, is to respect one another. Amen. You good? All right, just checking. How do we live as dual citizens of the kingdom of God and the United States at the same time? I've given you three things that I think will help. Number one, respect the conscience of your brothers. I'm going in reverse order. Number two, Seek the peace of the city where the Lord has called you. And number three, obey the laws of the land unless they ask you to do something that violates your Christian faith. I believe that's a good place to start. I close where I began, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Chad, come help me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of others. Amen. Instead of reading over my list of rights every morning, I'd be a much better Christian if I'd read over that verse every morning. And instead of worrying about if somebody is getting on my rights to ask the question, am I willing to follow a crucified Lord who laid down his title and picked up a towel and washed the feet of others even though he was God? And if the Lord Jesus could turn loose and not grasp his godness, but he could leave the glory of heaven and become a man, and that same God who left heaven and became human could die on a cross for my sin, surely I can lay down a little bit to walk in harmony with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And surely I can give up some luxuries and some privileges, at least temporarily, for the benefit of others around me.
And if I can't, then maybe I should figure out if I want to be a Christian or not. Because the best I read it, that is the call. And this is what it means to follow the Lord Jesus. Would you stand with me all over the house? Let them fight like cats and dogs in the world. But in the church, let us love one another from a pure heart fervently. Let the world demand its rights, but let the followers of Jesus lay down their lives in serving one another. Let's get off Twitter and get on our knees. Let's get our, off our soapbox and get on our mask, at least until July 31st, like we've been told to. And most of all, let's have a revival of civility and tolerance and mutual respect for one another in the house of God. Amen. Where even if we don't agree with one another about everything, and listen to me, even if you don't agree with me about everything, you hear me? To understand that we can still walk together because what we have in common in Christ supersedes the minor differences we may have about smaller issues. That's what it takes. It takes a degree of maturity to be a Christian. It just does. Amen? So let's not be American Christians. Let's be Christian Americans who allow our faith to inform how we live as American citizens. Not because we don't have the right to do otherwise, but because we understand that real freedom is not caving into my impulses all the time. But real freedom is doing what I ought to do and doing what is right, even when there's a part of me that doesn't want to do it. Even when there's a little boy inside of you on the truck seat who says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Okay, granted. But let's do our best to live as dual citizens this week. Kingdom of God, the country where we have been born. And let's obey the law. Let's seek the peace of our city. And let's respect the conscience of one another to disagree. I want us to close by praying. Because as I said a moment ago, the best thing any Christian can do is to pray. And the thing we can do that no one else can do is stand before God and intercede for our country. I want to lead us in prayer. And I'm going to close with a prayer from the Bible, from Psalm 67. It's a prayer for, for the nation. Let's pray together. Will you join me? Father, for a moment, we bow our hearts. This Independence Day weekend, a weekend that is sacrosanct for us as Americans. A weekend that we believe is providential because we believe you had a hand in our country acquiring the liberty to be a free nation. And we believe that you have blessed our country since its inception. And Lord, today, as the people of God, we stand before you and we ask for your mercy, Lord. We ask you not to look on the sins of our land, but to look on the faith of your church. And Lord, to look on the remnant here who love you and long to serve you. And we ask you for your help and your grace. Lord, we ask you today that you would bless our leaders and rulers. We do pray today for President Donald Trump, for Vice President Pence. Pray for our senators and our congressmen. We pray for our governor, Kay Ivey. Pray for our mayor, Sandy Stimson. We pray, Lord, for our public safety director, James Barber. We, we pray, Lord, today for Dr. Eichold, our public health officer from Mobile County. We pray for our city council. We pray for our county commissioners and leaders. 
We pray for those who are in authority over us. We ask you, God, to help them. Lord, we know that they probably wake up most days feeling like it doesn't matter what they do, they're wrong. And Lord, we pray that you would give them wisdom and grace to make the best decisions that they can. We pray for those that are not believers that they would come to know the Lord Jesus, that they'd be saved. For those that are Christians, we pray that their Christian faith would inform the way they govern and the choices they make for us as a people. Lord, we pray today for our country that, Lord, instead of the fiery judgment of God wading through our land, like the battle hymn of the Republic talks about, that instead you would send a very different kind of fire to our country, the fire of Holy Ghost revival to burn in our land so that people are convicted of sin and they turn back to the Lord and they come to know the Lord Jesus and they're saved by His grace and filled with His Spirit. Father, we pray for that today. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us as the people of God to do our best to obey the law of our land, to seek the peace of our city, and to respect one another in matters of conscience. Lord, teach us how to live that way. Lord, let us be good witnesses of you everywhere we go and whatever we do. Lord, we do pray that you bless our community. We pray, God, against the spread of the sickness and disease. We pray, Lord, that you would bless our healthcare professionals, our frontline workers, doctors and nurses and caregivers, truck drivers and delivery men and women, and those in harm's way who show up to work every day to keep things rolling for us. We pray your hand of grace on them and protection and mercy. Father, we pray today you'd bless us as your people. Lord, help us to be able to negotiate and navigate the line of when we should and when we should not obey. But always let us do it as Christians, whatever we do. Let us do it to the glory of God, not because we have a stubborn streak. Lord, let us be examples of what you'd have us to be. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name that everybody said, amen. I want to pray together. Psalm 67, hear the word of the Lord. God, be merciful to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving health among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the people righteously and govern the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth will yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and the ends of the earth shall fear him. Amen and amen. The Lord reigns. He does. And remember that even in the midst of scary, difficult times, the Lord Jesus still reigns. He's got us. He's got this. And whatever 2020 has in store for us still, God will not be caught off guard or by surprise. And like that fourth man in the fire, he's going to carry us safely through it. Amen. Give the Lord a great hand of praise. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you were blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.